0: wisdom, knowledge, common sense. They're things we value in our society. They're things that we chase and pursue in our life. Oftentimes we might expect the things that we value that when we turn to the Bible we say, God wouldn't have that. God doesn't desire that. God doesn't want that for your life. But wisdom Knowledge, common sense is something that God intends for you and for me to have. It's something that God desires would grow in us, would mark us out as his people. For example, Jesus told his followers to be as wise as serpents and as gentle as doves as they went about proclaiming the good news of his kingdom. Perhaps more cryptically for many of us, the story of God and Adam and Eve in the garden is one that revolves around wisdom, a thirst, a desire for wisdom and God's willingness, or not perhaps, to give wisdom to his created people. We're in the middle of a series John has been preaching to us the last couple of weeks, Considering Wisdom what wisdom is, where wisdom comes from, and wisdom shared from the Bible in a couple of different life areas. I want us to begin today just by stopping and thinking about wisdom once more briefly, but where we go for wisdom. How wisdom for human beings like you and for me is a mark of humility. It's a mark of faith in God. And really, can only be achieved when we live in this world as it really is. I want us to begin by thinking about Genesis chapter three. It's a story often known as The Fall, and it centers around wisdom. Now, it says, Genesis three, chapter one. The serpent was more crafty or wiser than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman responded to the serpent, We may eat fruit from all the trees in the garden, but God did say you are not to eat from the fruit of the tree that is in the middle, that is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, wise, knowing good and evil. So then the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, that it was pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom. So she took it and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. The rest, as they say, is history. But did you notice it in that story? It sort of seems as if God desires to stay ignorant, that God would have us shut off from knowledge of things that serve, of things which bless, which build up, which are good, and things which are bad, things which cause pain and misery and are evil. Sort of what the story suggests, although commentators and various other Uh, places you go in the Bible, really do paint uh, an appealing picture that this was just for a time. That God was waiting for his new creation, his Adam and his Eve to grow, to mature, and that he would lead them into this very knowledge. That God is a God who wants us to be wise. What happens here though is that the people decide that they want to be wise in their own way. They want to be wise in their own time. They want to do what they think is right in order to know what is right and is wrong. And that is a bad thing. That is a bad thing as we've been seeing going through the book of Proverbs so far. John has helped us to see, hasn't he? Hasn't he? In Solomon's own words, the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. That when we see who God truly is, that. That is when wisdom can begin. Whereas here in the garden you have this tragic story of the undermining of who God is. You're not the one who decides, you're not the one who says, we are. And it leads to sadness, it leads to sorrow, it leads to death. Speaking of Solomon, in the scriptures we also have his story of gaining wisdom we know from the book of proverbs from other accounts in the bible and other accounts from ancient history that this was a man whose wisdom surpassed any other in his or subsequent generations but how did he come to be such a wise individual well in one kings chapter three we read this solomon had made an alliance with pharaoh king of egypt and married his daughter He brought it to the city of David, Jerusalem, until he finished building his palace and the temple of the Lord, and the wall around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing at the high places, because a temple had not yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon showed his love for the Lord by walking according to the instructions given to him by his father David, except that he offered sacrifices and burnt incense on the high places the king, that is Solomon by this point, went to Gibeah to offer sacrifices for that was the most important high place of the day. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeah, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream and God said, ask for whatever it is that you want me to give to you. Ask for whatever you want me to give to you. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father, David. He was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David, but I'm only a child. I do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count. So give your servant a discerning heart. Give your servant wisdom to govern your people, to distinguish between right and wrong, good and evil. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon asked for this. He was pleased that Solomon asked for wisdom to rule the people well. So God said to him, since you have asked for this, and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice. I will do what you will have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor ever will there be. Moreover, I will give to you what you have not asked for, wealth and honour, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. And then Solomon awoke. He realised it had been a dream and he returned to Jerusalem, stood before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant and there sacrificed offerings and fellowship offerings. Then he gave a feast for all his court. It's quite the contrasting situation to the one that we read about in Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, the humans had been warned by God not to eat from that tree yet. And yet they reasoned with the influence of the serpent, that if something looked good to them, they could figure life out on their own, that perhaps going their own way, their own wisdom would be the the best way to grow up, to mature, to achieve power and status, and whatever it is. But here you have Solomon. Solomon, someone who is already so blessed by God to have this position of authority at such a young age. Yet someone who is clearly confused. Someone who is clearly humble in his own opinion of himself. Who, when given the opportunity to ask for anything in the world, says, I want you, God, to make me wise. I want to do what's right by you. I want to listen to you and I want to follow you. In the garden, this looks good to us. This is what we want. This is what we will take. Solomon, at Gibeon in that dream, Lord God, give me wisdom. I cannot do this on my own. I don't want this to serve me. I want this to serve your people. He begs God for it. What a contrast that is. Perhaps it's a contrast that highlights our own pursuit of wisdom. The wisdom of our age. That whatever seems good to you to do, you should do it, brackets, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone else. But wisdom in the scriptures is presented like this. It is the fear of the Lord. It is seeing and knowing who he is. Part of that is seeing and knowing who we are. And the distance that exists, the gap that exists between. Adam and Eve wanted to elevate themselves to God's status. Here Solomon wants God to reach down, to look down and to bless him. We also find the opposite of wisdom in the scriptures, don't we? Folly. In the Psalms we read that the fool says in their heart, there is no God. Wisdom comes to us when we live life in reality. When we see the world how it truly is. The world that God has made and the God who has made this world. The more we know God, the more we fear him. The more knowledge and wisdom we obtain, the more we ignore God and erase him from our lives and our worlds, the, the further into folly we slip. The last couple of weeks, John has been reminding us of, of what the, the fear of the Lord really means. Not the sort of, I'm scared, I'm terrified, I need to run away from danger sort of fear, but the awe, the reverence, the excitement almost It's the sort of thing that comes when you meet your hero. He told us the story a couple of weeks ago of the actor who played Saruman in Lord of the Rings, having grown up a massive Tolkien fan, and how he described bumping into Tolkien in the streets in Oxford or Cambridge. How his heart began to race how his palms became sweaty of how he was nervous he didn't know what to say he was afraid that he might look a fool in front of his hero because he understood who he truly was we can sort of relate to that can't we that there might be people in our lives that we are so in awe of so excited to encounter that it it creates this sort of fear response in us the more we understand who that person is the greater that fear response. For Saruman to know more and more about the individual he was meeting would have just made it a greater sort of sense of fear. You often see it on wedding days when the groom has the bride coming down the aisle and he's going to um, share vows. There's that fear, not, oh, I'm scared, terrified of what's going to happen, but there's this that love, that awe That a fear response is brought about. So, we need to begin this morning by just remembering and acknowledging that this is wisdom. Wisdom is only wisdom when it's anchored in reality, when it's anchored in Him. When we see the world and its creator, we see the creator of everything because it changes our lives. Adam and Eve in the garden, they wanted to take God out of the picture, they wanted to get wisdom for themselves, they wanted to lift themselves up, and there was folly, there was sadness, there was death. Solomon, the epitome of wisdom in our world, sought God, understood who God was, understood who he was, understood the responsibility that God had given him, and so he sought God for his wisdom. And for the rest of our time together, I want us to think specifically about wisdom when, as it pertains to friendship. Because I don't know whether you thought about this, but friendship is something that has really been downgraded in our world. I was chatting with JP about it this week, and he made this comment. It's funny, isn't it, how people will move from place to place, from city to city for work. It doesn't seem like a a mad thing in our society for someone to to leave the north of England and and go down to the south of England because that's where the job they desire is. It doesn't seem like a crazy thing for someone to move from South Wales and head off to London because that's where the job is. He said in our society and our culture it's, it's rarer but you hear stories of folks literally moving country for love they've met someone online from the States and they move over here, they've met someone online from Australia so they move over there. Our world, our society, our culture doesn't think anything of those two things, moving for work or moving for love, but how often do you see or hear stories of folks moving for friendship? Or, to put it another way, how often do you hear stories of people staying put for friendship's sake? Friendship isn't particularly highly regarded, maybe for one of two reasons, maybe one because we think it's easy come, easy go, we kind of have that blasé attitude that we can make new friends wherever we go, or maybe it's because we just think that friendship isn't that important thing, that there are greater things in our lives than friendships. I want us to see this morning, that friendship is something that we can be wise in, And that wisdom is anchored in who God is. As we see him more, as we understand him more, we gain a better understanding of our own relationships, our own friendships outside of our nuclear family. I want to look at John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, uh, Jesus is speaking about how life is to be lived in continuous connection with him. And in verse 9, he begins to speak to his disciples and describe them as his friends. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. And I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. And this is my command to you, love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends, if you do what I command you, if you love one another. I do not call you servants anymore, because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you, Everything I have heard from my Father. remain in my love, pleads Jesus. Dear friends, listen to my commands. What are my commands? Well, they're summed up in this one command, love one another. That's the sort of friend that each and every one of us who has turned, who has trusted, who has placed their faith, their hope, their joy, their peace in Jesus has a friend who is willing to lay down his life for us, to sacrifice. Later, the same John who wrote John's Gospel would put it like this, we understand, we know what love truly is, not because we've been romantically attracted to someone else, not because we have these animalistic instincts towards our, our kinfolk, We understand what love is because we have seen Jesus. We have known Jesus and Jesus Christ has laid down his life for us. Jesus said, this is the sort of love that we can and we should have amongst friends. A willingness to lay down one's life for their friends. You know, that's the reality of friendship that we all get to experience with Jesus, to be befriended in that way. It's the sort of friendship that we're all invited to be a part of by Jesus. Remain in me, obey my commands, love one another, sacrifice for one another, lead one another closer into a relationship with the Father. And it goes completely and utterly against The common wisdom of our age. The wisdom, inverted commas, which chops God out of life. Which removes Jesus from history. You know, there is a wisdom popular today. I saw this literally on Wednesday on my Instagram feed that said this. Cut anyone out from your life that doesn't add to you. That doesn't build you up. If there's someone in your life who you aren't benefiting from... Get rid of them. Cut anyone and everyone out of your life who costs you. And the footage on Instagram was very dramatic. The, the music was very dramatic. It was all very uh, convincing and emotive and powerful. Yeah, why should I have people in my life who, who are draining me, who are robbing me? I wanna fill my life with people who are building me up, who are enriching me. I wanna surround myself with those sorts of people. Be damned to those who are an inconvenience. Be damned to those who cost time, energy, attention, money, sacrifice, whatever it is. To be the human that I need to be, our world tells us I've gotta get rid of all those miserable hangers-oners, clingers-oners, dragers-downers. I don't have time in my life if I'm going to achieve anything to have those sorts of people about. That's the wisdom of our world that wants to ignore God, who wants to ignore Jesus. The Bible says that's not really wisdom at all. That's foolishness. The fool says in his heart there is no God. Jesus says this, dear friends, is why I count you as friends. Because I have revealed to you everything that the Father has revealed to me and I am going to lay down my life for you now. Be those sorts of friends to one another. Be willing to sacrifice for those who God has brought into your life. Life viewed apart from Jesus. Yeah, it may make sense by saying that we need to to get rid of people who cost us, but that is not how life and the world has been redefined by Jesus. Jesus has turned things back the right way up, hasn't he? As we've considered so many times in the book of Acts. Life viewed through the lens of reality is this. That we can be loved, that we are loved, and we can love sacrificially those who need us to spend for their enrichment. So I I want to apply this in two ways, but not in the, in the direction of what are the sorts of friends we should be looking out for. We could go and we could think about that, we consider that, again, who are the sorts of people we do want to be filling our lives with. We could go somewhere like Psalm 1, where the wisdom is not to, to follow and to pursue scoffers and sinners and mockers but actually to centre ourselves in God's word and and folks who lead us to God's word. But I want to apply this in two ways, and they revolve around asking the question or revealing the answer of what sort of friends should we be? What sort of friends should we be? As we grow in Jesus, as we seek to know him more and to be more like him, as we enjoy his friendship his sacrifice his love for us more and more and as we heed his command to love one another what sort of friends should we be well obviously and firstly we should be friends who are willing to love sacrificially this is how it's put in the book of proverbs proverbs 17:17 says this a friend loves at all times. A brother is born for a time of adversity. A friend loves at all times, not just when the going is good, but when the going is tough. Proverbs eighteen twenty four: a man of many companions comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Sticks closer to a brother when things get tough doesn't matter if you have a multitude around you. What you need is a companion, a friend who is willingly going to love, sacrificially, you in those situations. That's the sort of friend that each of us are called to be by Jesus. You know, Jesus is our friend in that way. Jesus doesn't go along with that Instagram Reels motivational sense of cutting people out of his life who are going to cost him. Jesus stepped down from glory into this broken world for people who were desperately in need of him. People like you, people like me. People who needed not just his love and his care and his time, but his grace, his mercy, his sacrifice for our sakes. Christ who was rich became poor so that we who were poor might become rich in him. What sort of friend are you willing to be Are you the sort of person who is going to run a mile at the first sign of trouble? Are you the sort of person who is going to huff and puff whenever there is any cost to being your friend? Or you are someone who, knowing that you have Jesus in your life, the one who bears all of our burdens, who gives us rest for our weary souls, who gives us joy, who gives us peace, who gives us hope, in eternal life? Are you gonna be the sort of person who can enter into difficulties, enter into sorrows, enter into struggles, and spend yourself for your friends? That's what wisdom says we should be like in our friendships. Ah, don't do that. You don't have time for that individual. What do you mean they're moving house? Well, well, that's their business. Every Friday afternoon, I like to get my nails done, so I can't be part of that. It's a really silly example when it's held up against the mirror of Jesus dying in our place, but it is the sort of way that we think and that we act. Jesus says, love one another. This is how we know what love is. Christ laid down his life for us. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life. For his friends. Jesus calls us to be the sort of people wisdom requires us to be the sort of people who are willing to sacrifice in the name of love. The second way I want to apply this though, and it again is through the lens of the sort of friends that we should be. Perhaps you spotted it, perhaps you didn't, but let me put it like this we should be the sort of friends who are leading others towards God. Not away from God. Proverbs 27, 17 says this. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Jesus put it like this in John 15. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my Father. Jesus, who is this friend who is willing to sacrifice even himself for the benefit of those he loved says that he can count them as friends because he is someone who is leading them closer into a relationship with God. Jesus has been your friend, I hope, in that way too. Jesus can be your friend in that way too. You see, how do we know anything about God if not through Jesus Christ? He's the one who makes God's nature seen to us. So how we understand what it is for God to be a loving God, a just God, a caring God, a compassionate God, (laughs) a merciful God, a gracious God, a patient God. Jesus is the one that helps us to see, who introduces us, who fills out the fullness of God for our tiny little minds. And he invites us as well. Wisdom invites us to be those sorts of friends too. To lead others closer to God, not further away. Again, the wisdom of our world, the the sadness of our own still very hard hearts is this. That when we draw near to people in this life, there are other things that we want to lead them into. Gossip, into slander, idolatry into futile, fun little things. Jesus says, I count you as my friends because I have revealed the Father to you. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. How can we make one another sharper? How can we grow wisdom and life in each other? Surely it is by helping each other to fear God. To know him, to see him, to enjoy him more and more. That's why the mission of our church is as it is. That we want to be people who know Jesus more. To become more like him and to make Jesus more known. Amongst one another and in the community that God has planted us. Jesus has been our friend who has led us to God and he invites us to be such friends too. Let me just finish by saying this, that Jesus doesn't make friendship less important. Actually, if we trace Jesus' entire life, he shows us how powerful relationships, outside of the romantic, outside of the nuclear family, how powerful, how important, how life-giving they can be, and they should be. And he invites us to contemplate him, to contemplate the spirit, to contemplate the Father in heaven, And to likewise be these sorts of friends to one another. Oh God, might we desire wisdom as Solomon did. Not wisdom that comes from making up our own minds, making up our own decisions, seeing and taking in our own so-called wisdom. But help us to be wise in that sense of coming to you. Of drawing closer to you. Of humbling ourselves and exalting you. Of living life in this world as it really is. A world created, crafted, ruled and reigned by you. Help us to be friends with others as Jesus has been a friend to us. Help us to sacrifice and help us to lead others into your glorious light and life we ask in his precious name, by your Holy Spirit. Amen.